what's going on. One of the things that has been on my mind lately is narrative. And as a sales professional, one of the things that I've worked very hard on in the last year or so is getting better at storytelling and particularly getting better at teaching, you know, storytelling, because I'm doing a lot of training and coaching. It was always really a big kind of mystery to me how to engage through the sales process with stories. Because when you think about stories, I think of, you know, the extroverted man or woman that's standing with a group of people and making everyone laugh and telling this really animated story. And, you know, I'm not extroverted. So I just never really related with that. And I never really had good examples of people that had done this uh, that I could see either. And one of the things I've learned is just how important storytelling is and how important it is to a prospect or a buyer to feel like their situation is something that you've run across before, is something that is, you know, fairly normal. You know what I mean? And that's what we're going to get into today, along with a couple of other things. We're talking about demos, enabling champions through stories, things that turn buyers off. And before we get to that, my name's Jason Bay. Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if that's something that you're doing as a B2B sales rep, that's especially one that's selling software, as either an SDR, BDR, or maybe an account executive, you're definitely in the right place. Today, I'm talking to VP of Sales at Reprise, Grace Tyson, who is a great guest, by the way. She is super awesome. But one of the things that we're going to dig into today is this narrative and how the buyer experience and enterprise is becoming a lot more like B2C. People want to do their own research. So how do we nail the narrative and really connect the entire buying experience together. We talk about story frameworks. Uh, she's just a master at running demos. So we talk about pros, cons, mistakes that people make when doing demos. One of the tips that I'll give you now is the importance of using the buyer's vocabulary. So for example, with me, it's really weird. Sometimes people call them SDRs. Sometimes people call them BDRs. Sometimes BDRs do outbound, sometimes they do inbound. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of all over the place. So just me talking in the same way that a buyer would talk about their internal team, super important. Um, you know, she's been a sales executive for some time now, so turnoffs for her as a buyer. And then the lastly, we talk about how to enable your champion. There's a lot of really cool stuff that they're doing at Reprise on champion enablement, some really, really cool stuff. So before we get to that, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to the shows. I appreciate you tuning in. Let's get to the interview. So I got to get your take on what feels like a really controversial topic on LinkedIn. I don't know if you follow sales content on LinkedIn or not, but there, there's a lot of talk about demos, especially in enterprise. Should you demo? Should you not demo? You know, a lot of people are like, oh, no discovery, no demo. You know, all of this kind of stuff. Where do you feel like things are headed from a buyer's perspective in terms of sellers having to meet people halfway, allowing them to do their own research, all of that kind of stuff. What's your, what's your take on that? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Uh, <laughs> and my opinion has changed, to be honest. Uh, I've, okay. I've kind of gotten with the time to get with the times. Uh, I've historically all as a rep and as a sales leader, always been the person who's, you know, like discovery, 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 you need to get all of these, this information mm -hmm. before you even think about giving a demo and if you're going to give a generic demo, then there's really no point because you need to get that information first so you can tailor it. Um, but I have, I have sort of changed my tune, not a hundred percent. Discovery is still very important. Um, but I think people's buyers appetites have changed and the way that people want to buy has completely changed as well. And it's been heavily influenced, uh, by our B2C purchases. When we, when we use consumer applications, we're very, very accustomed to, instant gratification and getting to feel product value immediately. So that was a big lead up, but all that to say, I think you got to give the people what they want more than we used to have to do. We, we have to, we have to lead more with, with product and sprinkle in discovery really effectively and really strategically. Um, 
I think when you go up market though, there's, you can, you can do a bit more discovery before you jump into a demo and you should, as you go up market into the enterprise. But generally speaking, I think the demo is, is creeping in earlier and earlier because buyers expect it and they frankly demand it really. Yeah. There's some interesting, I don't know how recent it is. I think it's maybe two or three years old, but Gartner had a bunch of interesting data around how much time is spent in a buying cycle outside of talking to the rep. It's like 93% or something crazy like that. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and yeah, there's a lot of, lot of good Gartner stats. They, uh, they have some stats around about, about 50% of people w- would rather have a rep-free experience in the sales process when they're oh, buying wow. B2B. That's scary. And it's getting higher <laughs> with, with the young crowd coming in to, to leadership. Uh, we don't want to talk to, <laughs> we don't want to talk to people. We want to just, you know, make our purchases. Um, but yeah, it is a little scary, isn't it? But, but also the demo is cited as the most important part of the evaluation, most important asset. So it's like this, you know, demo is really important, but also you want rep free experiences. So it's interesting juxtaposition. Yeah. What's the, what's the story behind reprise in terms of how, how did you guys kind of discover that this was a thing that people actually need some more help and support with. What was that? What was that like getting started? Yeah. So uh, I'll tell you how our, our founders came about this. And then I'll tell you how I kind of got, got excited and got involved. Um, One of our our, uh, co-founders, Brian Stevenson was CTO over at Catalant in Boston and just had this demo environment problem, right? There's like the sales leaders have expectations and needs for demoing the product and no one in product engineering wants to spend all their time building and maintaining a demo environment. And so he had this idea for what if, what if you could, uh, you know, do a turnkey demo environment, you could like copy the product, basically the front end, make it interactive, make it show just like the product, but make it easily editable and updatable and, you know, able to be anonymized and customized and verticalized. So he had this idea and, uh, before they really were really getting going as he was just building the product, um, they, they asked me about this idea as a sales leader. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, that's, if that can be a thing, that needs to be a thing because as a sales leader, I've struggled <laughs> a lot with the demo environment, showing customer data oof, uh, or, you know, yeah. just not being tailored or reps stepping on each other's toes. Someone changes something in there and all the other reps come in and they're like, oh yeah, I'm on this big demo and I've got surprised by what's in here. <laughs> you know, all these classic issues. And so when, when they told me about it, I was, I was like, that's a hell yeah. That's a, that's a definite need, need to have, um, in the modern sales stack. So what, I'm just thinking about all the ob- objections that you guys probably get, Bring it. you know, like, <laughs> Bring it, this is, this is, uh, <laughs> um, cause I know someone listening to this, I, I imagine what they're thinking is a couple things and it'd be really good to get your insight on this. I think a person might be thinking, well, hey, if I give them all of this stuff so that they can see it, can't they just make a decision without me? What do you guys say to someone that might be thinking something like that? That's worried that the buyer might just make the decision without me and not need me anymore kind of thing. Yeah, that's a, that, okay. So, so one clarification point I'll make is you still have control to decide how much control you're giving over to the prospect. So we have customers that uh, that they really lead with the product uh, experience right on their website. They have a demo that's interactive on their website. Uh, we also have customers that uh, really control it and they only use it for their live sales demos. So you can kind of decide how uh, how free you want to be with putting your product out there. But you, know, you, you cited the stat yourself, which is that, I don't know, what is it, 93% of the decision is made when you're not in the room or something like that. It, they're doing it anyway. So would you rather be controlling the way they're thinking about it and, and guiding it and giving them like the full information in the best possible light, showcasing your product, letting your product sell itself, but with your, you know, your branding and your messaging tied into it or let them make that decision anyway on their own, but with just like a slide deck or a video that they're not going to actually watch. That's, that's my, my counterpoint. How do you respond, Jason Bay? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I'm fully bought into everything that you guys are doing. I just always think through the context of, uh, you know, the resistance that people have to this discovery and demo thing is so interesting. It's like, it doesn't so have to be one good. or the other. You can do both. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can meet someone yeah. halfway and I, I couldn't imagine being so stubborn with an executive 
about showing any kind of thing where you just rub them the wrong way completely, you know? And I want to focus on what you said, though. You use the word narrative, I believe. And I think that's super important. One thing I talk about a lot with discovery, you know, a big pillar of that is helping the buyer shape the narrative uh, that they tell internally about the discussions that you're having, you know? Right, right, um, can you speak to, a, and feel free, you have a lot of, you know, sales experience yourself. I mean, where does narrative kind of fit into the sales process for you? And do you have any stories maybe about a time that you maybe didn't do it so well? Those are always fun, kind of fun to talk about too. Oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's <laughs> most of any advice I can share is really just stories about me fucking up. Um, so that's <laughs> there we that's go. Definitely when we learn. I welcome it. It's a gift. Uh, yes. So narrative, super important, super, super important. I think, uh, it's something we get wrong a lot in, especially in startups as we're growing really quickly, there's a lot of disjointed pieces between marketing and then sales. So the narrative is crucial. That's one of the things I actually truly love about reprise as a demo creation platform is it, it runs the full funnel. So we support marketing and I'm really trying not, I'm not trying to pitch you here, but like we support the marketing narrative and it's the same platform that then drives your live sales demos, that drives your demos you share in prospecting, that drives your, your interactive guided demos that you share as a follow-up to circulate internally. That narrative, it, you know, it really comes back to the product value for, for that particular customer. It needs to be tailored. And so anyway, storytelling and narrative, very important and very important that you're, you're telling that same story throughout the buyer journey, that it's not disjointed. So I think that's very important. And I think historically, it's been very challenging to, uh, to do that because you have like a marketing team building videos and, and one pagers, et cetera, on the site. And then you have a sales team kind of coming up with, and maybe it's better in some orgs and worse than others, but you have a sales team coming up with your, you know, your talk tracks and your, your demo click track. And you have another team that's even creating or maintaining a demo environment, or you're just sharing your actual, you know, customer data, which is yikes. Um, and then you, have a, then you have a final team with, with customer success. So narrative is across the entire process. And really you're trying to understand what your buyer needs and tailor that narrative to them but you have to come in with a hypothesis and some and around like what is the value you bring, and and that's where like demos become very crucial because the pro that's where they transfer ownership mentally towards okay here's the problem I have oh here I see how I could this can be solved with your solution. In terms of my screw, I'll, I'll pause then I'll share and I'll try to talk about some screw ups. <laughs> your second part of your question. Let's go with the screw up first and then uh, okay. and then. <laughs> Well, let me talk about like, okay, so tell me if this answers your question, but I will say one of the things I struggled with as a new, when I became a new rep, when I went from BDR to AE and something I've seen a lot of reps struggle with is nailing the demo, nailing, the, <laughs> nailing the, nailing the storytelling, the narrative in, in that demo call. So you do, you do some discovery, you, you think, you know, you figure out what they need, you've taken your notes you're doing the demo and then it's still a generic demo. Like you don't actually take the information that you learned in, in talking with them and tailor what you show, what you say, the customer stories you tell, you have this like script and you're just very generic because you're nervous and you, and you haven't quite internalized it. So I've definitely messed that up where I like tell the wrong story. It doesn't resonate or I've shown something that they don't give a shit about this. Like, why am I why am I showing this? No yeah. one knows, but I just felt like I needed to show it because I had my, you know, agenda. This is what I go through. Um, and so for me, mastery really came when I realized like less is more and, and you really just want to show just enough and just what's relevant to them. Um, and a lot of reps, you know, we feature dump, we, <laughs> we just show up and throw up and we don't tell it as a story. And that's that I think it's telling it as a story and sharing the customer examples, the customer stories of what they went through to, on this, their journey is far more powerful than, hey, this button does this, this feature does this. Let me click to this this view type of thing. So did I answer your question? I can I can share more gorgeous yeah. stories. <laughs> well, no, there's so thank you for that. There's so much I think to unpack there. If we start really kind of high level, I think first off, I want to acknowledge too that demos are really hard when you're selling like a mid-market or enterprise solution oftentimes because you have to 
be able to do a lot on the fly <laughs> with new information. So it's uh, it could be very difficult for sure. When you think at just high level about storytelling, this is has been probably the weakest point of my sales career up until you know really kind of in the last six to twelve months where I'm like, oh, it kind of started clicking. I would use them, but like the connecting part that you were talking about, you know, and I've been at it for a decent amount of time, like 15 years, you know, and I'm like, just like, okay, I, I kind of get that part now, you know, what are the components of a story? Yeah. What are the things that like we should talk about? Cause I, I had this idea for the longest time that it, I was like storytelling. I'm I'm not really that great at telling stories. You know what I mean? I'm like, <laughs> same, same, same. I'm like, I, I thought I'm like, huh? You know, I was thinking back to parties I've been to, and I'm like, yeah, is on storytelling. I I, I don't know. <laughs> Can I do this? Yeah, same. Uh, okay, so here's how I think about it. A few components, and then I'll tell you like the structure. I at least at a very very simple level that I advise people to follow to keep it simple and mentally. I just like lists and bullet points and planners and. <laughs> like organization. So um, the story is about the person, not the company that you're talking about. So giving a specific example of like, you know, oh my gosh, you remind me so much of Jason Bay. You know, he's CEO over at the Blissful Prospecting Podcast. You talk about the specific person. Um, It needs to sound natural. It needs to sound like you're, oh my gosh, you're just jogging my memory. It's coming to mind right now based on exactly what you're saying. Uh, you you highlight the similarity between the prospect and 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 this person you're remembering uh, is the first thing, and that weaves into then you go into the structure, which I I like to talk about the old way, so that like the painful state, the the challenges Jason was facing, what he was going through, you know, and and you try to find one that is very relevant to exactly what you've just learned from the prospect. Like you mentioned that you're really struggling to to drive up your conversion rates on the demo request form on your site. Jason Bay, CEO over at, you know, blah, blah, blah. He was dealing with the same thing. What he was experiencing is blah, blah, blah. And you amp up the pain even further. It's even worse. Jason had even worse. Maybe there's some latent pain that I don't know yet from the prospect. So it's old way, what they were dealing with, the pain, this pivotal moment, the breaking point, and then this new way. It's not about reprise. It's not about my solution. It's about Jason's journey from this painful state, this turning point, this new way, and then the impact, the the, the metrics-based impact to the business and to Jason of taking this new approach. So again, old way, new way impact. And it's very simplest. That's how I guide my reps to sort of go through a story. It's not perfect, but it's yeah. at least simple and pretty memorable. So then you can kind of keep yourself honest to that structure. Yeah. And you can use that uh, 60, 90 seconds. You can tell a really impactful story, you know, with that yes. framework. Yeah. As a sales leader, how this is the thing I hear, and I'm just curious your take. The thing I hear oftentimes, and it's usually the situation with some very big companies oftentimes that I work with, where they have case studies and all of this other stuff, but they're not really in a format that a rep could turn into a 60, 90 second kind of story. How do you think about enabling your reps with stories? Do you say, hey, here are the three most common situations and here's an example story we could use. Do you kind of expect them to do it on their own? Like what, what kind of support or enablement do you recommend a sales leader provide in the, in the way of customer stories? I recommend providing a lot of support with customer stories and being very, very prescriptive at least so that they have mm-hmm. that as an option. Cause, cause the, the degree of confidence in storytelling varies widely and it's super low confidence when you just start a new role and you're ramping up. So that like getting those internalized is hard. So I, I, we, yeah. So what we have, what I, what I do is um, boil down the biggest pain points that we hear, biggest use cases or pain points really. And then I have scripted out very specific, like longer word for word customer stories, a video example of me or a rep, even better, an actual rep doing it on the call. And, and you, you basically, you want like a chorus, uh, you know, a, a recording library of examples of those customer stories in the field. You want yeah. the written out script and then you want the really succinct bulleted point as what well, bullet points as well. Like just at the highest level. So, cause people learn differently. Some people want the full script and they want to memorize it. Some people, just a couple bullet points will keep them on the right track, but we do specific storytelling training as well and onboarding. I think that's important because it cannot sound scripted. It has to feel real and natural. Yeah. It's super important. 
So there's these caveats too, to make sure it does. And it has to feel tailored. It has to feel relevant to that particular prospect. Yeah. I, I mean, we could do, we could do a whole podcast on storytelling, you know, but totally. I, think one I don't of know if I'm qualified, right. but I would love to. <laughs> I want to hear what you use well, too, think, by the way, selfishly. I'm curious about if you have a different framework. I want to know. Uh, it's, I, it's labeled a little differently. It's just, it's the same kind of thing though. You know, yeah. it's, uh, <laughs> you know, what and how, you know, what were they running up against? Um, how did they fix it? What was the impact or insight? Um, right. cause I think this is super clutch in a prospecting yeah. scenario too. When yes. someone on a cold call says, oh, we're already using X, Y, Z, you know, we're using gong. Right. And if I'm chorus, I might say, well, hey, yeah, we had a customer that was this, 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 and you can you know, share a story. I think one important detail that you said, though, that I could focus on more in the work that I do with reps is it's got to be a person and you got to be able to say their name because oftentimes it'll be, oh, yeah, the sales you know team at XYZ company. And it just doesn't really feel as good as, oh, you know, John, yeah, you know, VP of sales over at XYZ company was experiencing this. Right, you know, right, right. and being able to do that. I think the other thing too, if I'm a sales leader and I'm listening to this, I think a really big takeaway is getting your reps that did not ever talk to these customers and have no idea really who these people are, getting them comfortable enough to where when they tell the story, it sounds and feels organic and providing lots of examples for them, mm -hmm. I think is super important. Yes, 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 yes. Yes. And I would add to that too. Another great, very tactical thing is bringing in your customers too for fireside chats with the team, because when they hear yeah. it right from their mouth, it's, it's, it really amps up their confidence and their excitement. And that's super important. We have to keep, you know, constantly be the hype people and, and, and make the, make it feel real for them too. Like, Oh yeah. Okay. It's easy to like read this paper, but now I just talked to John VP of sales at XYZ company and I'm hearing the real pain that he felt and, and how our solution provided value. So. Yeah. Another thing I always talk about is getting your reps to drink the company Kool-Aid, <laughs> you know, and I think like they're, in other words, their belief in the solution is so important, just that confidence and what better way to build confidence than to have a customer that's gotten really great results with your solution come in and just yes. allow your, yes. you know, reps to pick their brain, you know? Yes. Um, okay. So we, so we got the narrative piece. You had alluded to the second part, how this how we connect things together from a demo standpoint. What advice do you have there after we've kind of done discovery? Where do you see people kind of messing up in terms of how they actually connect this into a customized demo where, I mean, there's obviously still a use case for that. I mean, I get like you're, I think people could mistake, not you guys don't do this, but I think people could mistake a solution like a reprise for replacing the demo when it's not doing that. It's it's allowing you to really customize as well. But even in a live scenario, um, where do you see people messing up when it comes to connecting what they learned in discovery to the actual demo? Yes, I, I love this question. I'll, I'll give you a laundry list. I first The first biggest thing is that they don't. They just do not. It's like, it's, mm -hmm. it's like mentally... You did discovery and now you do demo and there's just, there's no bridge. That's the biggest faux pas. Yeah. Um, but other, other issues I see when it comes to demoing are not, uh, not storytelling. First of all, focusing way you, you get, you get delegated down, you get pushed down to the, the people you sound like we know that in sales. And if yeah. you sound like someone who really just cares about this button and this feature and it, and you stick to the, what it does, it just does this. And you're just like a trainer almost. You're just like telling them what the product does and you're not tying back to value and why it matters. You're not telling customer examples. Oh, you're going to get, first of all, you're going to get into a trial where you're bogged down with feature requests and you're not talking about value anymore and it is painful and you're also not going to get to power. So that's a big one. Um, and then a couple other, maybe some minor, maybe somewhat minor pet peeves for me wasting the questions you have, you have you only have so many questions that a prospect will tolerate depending on who they are and their willingness to tango with you and so when i hear questions like does that make sense or do you have any questions as the question you ask after you show something i think it's a big waste it's a big miss in my in my book 
you want to, uh, you're again, you're trying to use the demo to transfer ownership of the the problem and the solution to this person and get them articulating how they would use it, what impact it might have for their team, how would their team use it, how it compares to what they're doing today. So you need to ask questions that give you that again, you're sprinkling in discovery and you're locking in and you're getting them articulating value, which psychologically also is very impactful for their <laughs> willingness to, to move forward with you. So. Asking good questions is key um, and use their vocabulary. That's another big thing I see people miss all the time. Um, what would, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, you know, they, they might call instead of, uh, instead of BDRs, they might call their team SDRs and you're selling a, a, you know, a biz dev solution. Very simple, very small. We all know what you're talking about, but say SDR instead of BDR because that's what they call them. They're like use their vocabulary. That's part of that, that, feeling like, oh yeah, this, this, this is like me, this fits for me. And then finally, less is more. Like you learned what they need to know. You don't need to show 10 extra things that you think are cool just because you think they're cool. If you know you have the perfect solution for exactly what their pain is and you show that, that's where you then dig in and you ask questions. And if they need or want to show more, you think there's an opportunity, okay. But just be very careful about selling past the clothes, so to speak, or just like, you know, TMI, cut yourself off. <laughs> yeah. I love all this. Correct me if I'm wrong. You said transfer ownership of the problem and solution to them. Is that what you said? That's what I said. Yes. Yes. That's interesting. It's that transfer of ownership where the demo needs to, from a prospect, I need to feel like in that moment, at least like I have the solution and I'm thinking yeah. about and envisioning what it's like to actually use it yes. and what it might, what it might help me with. I love what you said around wasting questions. Do you have some examples of what are better questions to ask? If I'm not asking, does that make sense? Do you have any questions? Sound good? You know, stuff like that. What am I, what should I be asking? Yeah. Yes. Uh, I do have, I, I do have a lot of ideas about, uh, I call them tie down questions because you're like trying to get it, tie them down to, to value, getting them articulating value. Um, yes. So great ones go back to discovery. Hey, you know, Jason, you mentioned earlier that this XYZ is a real challenge for you and your team. How would you, how would you see this impacting that challenge? Something like that. Like you tie back, like how, how would you think yeah. this might affect that? Um, other things are, you know, how does this compare? Uh, how does this a comparison question? How does this compare to how you're, you're tackling this today? So that, and ideally, you know, they're like, oh, it, you know, and then, oh, also <laughs> don't leave it at one question. They give you information and then go like, Drill in more. That's a great opportunity. If they're like, oh, it would make an a big impact, blah, blah, blah. Tell me more about that is a great, is a, is a really simple, really simple, but good one. Um, so how does this compare? How would your team, how would you envision your team using this? Um, what do you think, you know, you mentioned your, these goals earlier, you know, what do you, what do you think this might drive for your team? If we were to implement this, those sorts of things. Um, what else? <laughs> do you have other, other questions you like? The tying it back thing is, it's, it sounds so simple, but I just rarely hear people actually do that. Yes. But yeah, it's, it's uh, that's, that's my go-to, you know, cause I, I don't sell a software product. I sell training, but it's like, um, Hey, how do you see this playbook helping your reps set more meetings on a weekly basis? You right. know, it's really simple. It's like playbooks, one of the big deliverables. I'm not just going to show it and be like, Hey, what do you think? Look good. Awesome. You got any questions on it? Like getting them to think about what it's going to be like to work with me. Yes. I'm a really big fan of that. And then that's like the Ted framework he talked about, you know, tell me more, explain more, describe how, you know, all yeah. of that kind of stuff. I really yeah. like, yeah. um, okay. The next one I think would be good to spend some time in the, the talk with like too much of what it does. This is a tricky thing because it kind of depends on who you're demoing to. Right. I mean, yeah. Yes, if I'm yeah. demoing to someone that would be using the product, they might want to see a lot of that stuff, but let's not talk about that because that's kind of table stakes. Like you need to know how the product works. How do you think about demoing to an executive? How does that maybe differ when they don't really maybe care how the product works? How do you think about what to show or talk about on a demo? Yeah. Uh, I love, I think it's, I think I'm hope I'm not botching this, but the, the, the saying like be brief, be bright and be gone is totally applicable for execs. You, like long windedness will, will kill, will kill the call for me. If I'm taking a demo, 
like long-windedness, yeah. feeling like I'm having things explained to me that I clearly under, like clearly would understand. That is a huge, I'm, I'm going into the negative. I'll go into the positive too. That's a huge turnoff. So the flip side of that is, oh my God, please prepare for these calls with an executive and know what you're going to hit on and what you're going to say and be very specific and very clear and very succinct. And this is where the, that, what I said earlier uh, about less is more only show what you need to is even like far more important. The most important when you're talking and demoing to an executive, because they, if you keep going beyond that, you start to, you really start to lose them, show them what they, you know, they care about. And then, and, and then ask them very direct, very blunt questions and then be done with it. If you give them time back in their day, that's excellent. No one, no one will be upset about that. Um, don't beat around the bush. If you don't know the answer, be honest about it. That's it. We can be scary. So <laughs> that's, that's my, my advice yeah. is, is less is more. And the tailoring is big too. By the time you're talking to an executive, sometimes they'll be the first call. That's great. That's awesome. Um, but often they'll come in later in the process. And you know, especially obviously with larger companies, certainly, um, unless you happen to know, you know, the CEO of, of, of Dell or something like that, but otherwise they're coming in later. And so you have good. Michael. Yeah, yeah, of course. We go way back. Yeah, Michael. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, Michael uh, Dell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have the, the vocab, and you know enough about their business, so the tailoring of what you say to be very, very specific to their business is also huge. They want to feel like you are intelligent and understand their business problems, and you be just be be brief, be bright, and be gone. That is that's the rule. I like it. Well, you mentioned, so I have to ask you, you said, this is one of the things that turns me off as a buyer. You've been in the seat of the buyer in several different roles. What are some of the things that you've experienced as a prospect yeah. that were just like, oh man, gosh. come on. Oh my gosh. Uh, wow. So much. I love, I love this question because I, I, I really try to, I really am nice to salespeople. If you call me, I, pr I pretty much will hear out, oh God, I'm, I hesitate to say this, but I will all, if I answer, I will let you pitch me. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be nice, but between us, Jason, uh, I've, I've seen some shit. So definitely being, being long-winded, you know, what? actually let me start with the one that makes me the most annoyed. You ask me a discovery question. I answer your discovery question. And you do nothing to show me that you actually listen to that. You ask me the same question or you ask me about something I already explained earlier in the conversation in the same way, like, like where it's clear, okay, it, you weren't listening. You were thinking about your script. Now I'm not going to answer your questions anymore because I've already said this and now I'm wasting my time and you're wasting yours. Um, that's a big one. So if you're going to, again, if you're going to ask questions, that's I'm, I'm, I'll boogie with you, but you need to, you need to listen and, um, and asking vague questions that annoys me as well, frankly, like, tell me about your sales process. <laughs> okay. I mean, sure. It's like, like, what, what do you know what you want to get out of the question? Basically when you ask it, like, what are you really getting at? Get to the question you actually want to ask. Do you really want me to describe my basic generic B2B SaaS sales process from beginning to end? Or are you, are you trying to hone in on something that you actually care about? Just, just get to the point. That's like, get to the point. Um, and then saying things that, you know, being long-winded, asking, does this make sense? All the things I described that annoys me because I also, you know, coach my reps not to do that. And I, it annoys me to, to be asked questions like that. Lack of prompt follow-up is another big one for me. Um, and not being willing to give, give me what I've asked for, which is why I've come around on the demoing earlier front, because truly like, I'll be straight with you. You know, you can ask me questions, but if I really need to get a demo or if I really need to get pricing, like I, I want transparency. I don't want to waste my time. Okay. Let's unpack some of these. These are, I think, very connected to what we talked about. And it's also just I think, good insight, not only for me, but for the people listening to. So the first one, you said not showing an understanding. So by this, is it, I'm, I'm restating back what I heard, but in my own words to get clarification. That's so okay. for example, yeah, yeah. That's great. But that's what you're oh, talking you're about. Not okay, just, I, I thought you were saying, if yeah. I did that, well, that's great. Do that. <laughs> yeah. So going. for example, so for example, if, uh, you know, if I'm talking to you and you're a VP like you are, and you shared something around, um, uh, you know, hey, you know, one of the things that I'm dealing with right now is that, you know, my AEs aren't doing enough prospecting and I'm, 
you know, worried that because they're not self-sourcing their pipeline, that they're relying too much on SDRs. And, you know, we may not be able to hit our quarterly targets because of that. If I just restated back, oh, hey, well, so it sounds like you're worried that the AEs are not doing enough self-sourcing and, you know, they might be relying too much on it. Like a lot of, I hear this a lot in calls where they just repeat back word for word what the person's saying. If I'm understanding you correctly, in that situation, you're expecting something a little bit more like, um, okay, so it sounds like self-sourcing is a really big challenge. I'm curious, what have you guys done to improve that? What What's worked? What hasn't worked? Like, it's like, let's just like, hey, I, I heard you. And now yeah. let me demonstrate yeah. through the question that I'm asking that I understand. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yes, totally. I think a little bit of summarizing back is great, but- yeah, not the whole thing. What you did is perfect. And then building on it, what would be, and then what I was also talking about is them saying, okay, got it. So what are your biggest challenges? And I'm like, I just, I just articulated that I'm having uh-huh. like that's, and that happens yeah. often, often on sale, yeah. uh, introductory sales calls. And I'm like, like I said, if you hear your prospects say, like I already said, or as I, as I stated, or as I already mentioned, Ding, ding, ding. Like pay attention to that. Cause you probably kind of, you kind of fucked it up because they're, 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 yeah. that's their little cue. That's their first cue that they're a little annoyed. So yes, exactly. Right. Um, shorter summary and then get to the next question. I think people do it cause they don't know where to take the conversation. I think that's why reps tend yeah. to do that. It happens to me, uh, not like super frequently, but every now and then you're like, Oh shit. Sure. You know, especially if someone's not really, you know, kind of opening up. Um, We've all been there by the way. Whole... Yeah. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, I had the biggest learning curve to selling to more executives because when we started Blissful Prospecting, it was like done for you, SDR agency. Mm-hmm. And most of the people that hired us were like small businesses. Mm-hmm. And then we started doing training and coaching, more, like leaned really heavily into that about two or three years ago. And now I'm talking to like, oh, this person's a VP of sales at a like I'm talking to someone that's like several steps removed from the people that are going to be using the stuff I trained them on. And those first four or five calls like went so bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, like I had people ask me, well, so what do you guys do? And I'm like, Oh God, that's terrible because it should be hopefully pretty obvious. Um, you know, like this conversation hopefully is relevant enough that it's pretty obvious, you know? Right, um, right. You said prompt follow-up. What are your expectations? I'm curious around, like if you sent an email to a sales rep that you had done a sales call with, what are your expectations around how prompt you should get an email back? Um, so, okay, two, th- two things. I'll answer your question and I'll add, I'll add another thing. I think uh, I'm a big fan of balance, truly. So it, it does kind of depend mm-hmm. on when I send it. Um, I think best practice is certainly same day at least within 24 hours, certainly not multiple days later. That's, that's absolute no, no. Um, but really what I, what I like to see and what I highly recommend is a quick response. Even if you don't have the answer yet, Hey, you know, received your note, I'm getting you the answer and I'll get it back to you by this time. And then, and then just follow through on that or, Hey, FYI, got your email. You know, I, I, let me talk to my team and I'll, I'll revert back. But let them know you're on it. Don't let them hang in, in limbo because that's just creating a little window for them to go explore other options. We have to be de-risking. Um, in terms of follow-up after a call, I'm a, I, we can have a whole other podcast on, on follow-ups. I see a lot of weak email follow-ups. They're super generic and basic. Like Use that opportunity to remind me every single time about what we've agreed to, what my pain points are, what we're here to do. Because I have a million priorities and, and it's easy for something to fall off. So and send that very quickly after the call. Like I, I was the rep that I blocked time before and after the call. And so maybe I seemed a little bit psychotic, but I prepped before the call. And then within the next 30 minutes, I sent that detailed follow-up and did all my admin in Salesforce. I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little extreme, but, but, but that's what I recommend. Yeah. And there's this, you know, people always talk about the emotional and logical parts of, you know, selling and there's just something to, comfort that this person yes. has their shit together. You know what I mean? It that I'm trusting <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I'm trusting six or seven figures plus of budget. And I don't think the people realize too, and think about when you talk to, cause I always ask my clients, especially the sales executives about what, what process they went through to like, get this approved. 
Mm-hmm. And I have a VP at a, a company that I work with now, and he brought me in his first three or four months on the job. And I didn't realize until I talked to him how risky that is for an executive to really advocate um, to train an entire team and to like get that kind of budget and really kind of put their reputation on the line. Yep. That requires risk. And there's a lot of comfort in knowing that this person's on top of stuff. So that's such a small little hack that you shared around. Hey, if you get the email, just respond. If it takes you two days to get the stuff you need, that's okay. But you better not wait two days to reply to their email though, you yes. know, kind of thing. It's right. Yes, 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 yes. You're so right about the like creating that feeling of that, that this person is trustworthy and you you are safe mm-hmm. in doing business with them. And those, those touch yep. points make a big difference for that. And people... It's often overlooked, I find. I have to, I'm constantly like, <laughs> constantly ranting about that uh, nicely to, to my team about the, the importance of that, that follow-up. Yeah. So let's get to this last piece, the give me what I ask for, the transparency piece, because I feel like this is a good kind of segue into, you know, kind of these, you know, I don't know, do you call them product-led demos? <laughs> I, don't, <laughs> I don't know what, what, what do you call this type of, uh, you know, like, Demos, shareable demos, website shareable demos, demos okay. live demos. I mean, just demo, demo, demo. <laughs> okay. So there's an interesting uh, use case I want to spend some time talking about. And, and that's the, you know, I did some stuff with my champion and maybe I'm not going to get a chance to present this to the rest of their team or to talk to the other people involved in. Uh, it's kind of crazy. I mean, the majority of the time, what I see reps doing is they don't arm that person with anything but a, but a deck that's like 40 pages long. And they're kind of counting on this person to basically sell this in the way that they sold it in. Yes. Um, I think yes. we both agree that that's pro- that's not the best thing to do. Yeah. So how do people use uh, reprise the, this like creating a live kind of demo that the champion can share? Can you just unpack that? Like what's the, kind of concept behind that and how does that typically get executed? Yeah, it's awesome. It's actually a major reason why companies buy Reprise and it's super impactful. And obviously we also use it internally for our own sales process. So mm-hmm. um, champion enablement is huge. You're right. It's often a long deck. You throw everything you can at, into that deck, just hoping and praying that they that they land on a slide. It's like throwing shit at a wall, hoping it sticks kind of thing. Um, and you hope you hope the champion is is empowered. Um, when I when someone is bringing me a solution internally, uh, and I'm I'm signing off on it, I have just a few questions that I, I want to know. And so, like it, it's pretty predictable within any given business what those questions likely will be. And so, uh, what is better to sell your product than your product? But but your mm-hmm. product with guides that talk about the specific that answer the specific question that executive buyer is going to have right in that product experience. I want to know personally, for me, if I'm buying a, a tool for my sales team, of course, I want to know how much does it cost? What do I expect the outcomes to be of buying this? Am I risking anything by implementing this? And does it integrate with my tech stack amongst maybe maybe a few other questions? But those are probably the biggest questions. Does it, does it integrate with Salesforce? How much does it cost? How do, how do people use it? Who, who uses it? Who, who owns it? <laughs> and what's the implementation like? Like these sorts of things. So what our uh, our reps do and our customers reps do is they create this very easily. Like someone can create one and then it's customizable very easily. So you create these standard uh, library of, of shareable demos that you send out like as a link in the email that that uh, executive buyer clicks into it. And it it takes it's like, you know, hey, Grace, um, Jenny has been evaluating reprise. Uh, here's here are the three reasons why click through and, and, and experience what this would be like for your team. And then you click next and it, and it takes you through and it's a clickable, basically prototype of the product they would be buying. And you can embed these guides that talk about, and oh, and here's the value. Um, here's, here's something that you're, here's a quote from your team. So it's all blended together in some, in what I want to know. I have so many times we've been buying a software. I'm like, well, I, how, I just want to know, does it do these things and how does it work? I want to get a sense of, of what it yeah. is. You go to the website and it's, very unclear often what it actually does for someone in my seat or for my reps or my managers. So this is like, to me, this is just, then this is why I joined Reprise. This is exactly what the buyer needs and wants to sign off without joining a call, which often they will not do. They often do not want to to get on a call with you. So that's how we, how we use it. 
Yeah. It's champion enablement. I, I haven't heard it referred to like that. I, I, I love that. Uh, God, there's so much there. The, uh, the questions that's a, I don't know if you recommend this. I'm sure you do. Just asking your champion, what questions do you think so-and-so is going to ask? They yes. usually know the answers to those. You're totally right. And being able to have something, it's showing and not telling really mm -hmm. is what it is. You know, the show don't yes. tell kind of approach where yes. I'm going to yes. anticipate what this person might ask and let the product sell itself is uh, really clutch because the only other alternative that you really have I do this now is, you know, sending a vidyard, mm -hmm. you know, or whatever other tool that you use or a loom it where it's like 60, 90 seconds, but it's a static thing. And I know the stats, most of those videos don't get watched. And I spend yeah, a lot of time making them mm -hmm. like, how can I get this down into a minute long for this person? And people are just kind of getting desensitized to videos. It's not a cool thing to get a customized video anymore. No, At least in I software know. sales, you know? I know I get like 10 a day now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, great. They're holding up saying, Hey, Grace, you know, I made this yeah. video on, you know, it's 1037 and July 21st, like really yeah. trying to customize it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just been thinking if I'm selling like a sales engagement tool or, you know, like a zoom info or something, like having something that people can just like instantly see how it would work and what the impact of it would be is, is super, super powerful. Um, so yes. And people are also wary, like yeah. seeing a video of something, I don't know. I think we're a little bit skeptical and jaded at, at this point, like just generally as buyers and, but being able to feel it, like to click into it and like, and really like click through the product and feel it and have your questions answered alongside it is, it's just, it hits differently. It, it truly, it truly does. Yeah. The other thing I'm curious, have you seen, I'm sure it impacts win rates, but I'm curious what those reasons are and sometimes too. And where I'm kind of going with this is, you know, I think about if I have to schedule a demo with someone based on their schedule, I might not get to demo with them for a week or two. If it's someone that's really busy versus yeah. sending them an email right now, they can look at like, is there any, is there anything to that or any, I don't know if you have any data on that or not, but just like the immediacy, if that's a word of being able to just like show this person this stuff without having to wait. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I mean, you like on, pro okay. Think about with prospecting, like the rule mm -hmm. of, okay, you got to call them within, I mean, ideally within a minute, but within five minutes, or you're just like, if they click something, if they become an MQL, yep. the immediacy is so important. You have to strike while the iron's hot while it's top of mind. Mm -hmm. Otherwise they're on to the next thing. I can attest to this. Yep. If you look at my calendar, you'll, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can think about this for this 30 minutes and then next. So the immediacy thing is time kills deals letting people have what they need to evaluate whether they want to move forward quickly without those scheduling delays and asynchronously is really important. Also, you're not going to have everyone on the call. So getting that buy-in, you have seven plus you know, stakeholders in a deal on average, or I think it's like 7.5 or so, some, some decimal point, but you have a lot of yeah. people involved in any purchasing decision. So yes, that's huge. We've, we've seen customers cutting down their sales cycles, increasing their win rates, you know, increasing their competitive win rate specifically as well is really, really huge. You box out competition pretty aggressively and yeah. fewer closed loss reasons due to authority and due to timing and priority. These are all, these are all the things we want to, we want to impact and what we see our customers really impact too with, with reprise. So hundred percent, you're spot on. Love it. Well, uh, this has been great. I got a couple of, uh, rapid fire questions for you. Okay. Is that cool? Okay. All right. Um, so this first question this is sort of a fun one. You don't have to choose obviously between these channels in real life, but it's kind of fun to ask people. So think about from a, from an outbound standpoint, if you're prospecting to get a meeting, if you had to choose between phone, email, and social, what would you, what do you pick and why? Phone. Uh, I get very few cold calls relative to what I get in my email and LinkedIn. I get, like I said, tons of videos now. Um, if you call me and you leave a voicemail, I will listen to it. Yep. And then I know you're really trying. And then, it, but what I do see is people don't pair. I think you need to blend it, but cold calling, I do not believe cold calling is dead. Long live the cold call. <laughs> cold call me, leave a voicemail, also text. So phone, I would say phone. Love it. So you're open to getting a text, a cold text from a salesperson? Totally. I got one earlier oh, today. And, and, yeah. and I'm more likely to reply, but I don't see enough persistence. Like people that aren't doing it. 
Cause you have to, if you do it like five, six times, then I'm finally going to either listen or get annoyed and say, okay, no, I'm not interested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm encouraging people on the internet. Please annoy me, please. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I don't know what I'm signing up for here, but yeah, cold calling, cold calling. Yeah. Love it. Love it. So what's something you believe about sales that most would disagree with? Uh, okay. I, I don't know if most would disagree with this. I don't know what the take is nowadays, but I've heard this term, uh, you know, I've heard people say, oh, salespeople are coin operated. And I do not agree with that. I really don't agree with that. I have, I have been part of and helped build some of the quirkiest teams. I built a lot of teams where people actually aren't even like money is a motivation, right? Yes. We're money. We want to make money. Otherwise we wouldn't be in sales, but it's not the biggest motivation for a lot of sales reps, a lot, including myself including myself. So that's something I would say is that it's not all about the money for salespeople. Like there's also this desire in, intrinsically to do a good job and to like really equip cu customers to be successful. So I, I, that's, that's what I challenge is this, you know, status quo of, of uh, coin operated salespeople. I don't, I don't agree with that. Do and other lastly, people that? I don't know. I don't know if it's controversial, but there you go. Oh, I see people talking about it, but I a hundred percent agree. I, I, you know, I, all the data supports, it's like, what, $80,000? It depends where you kind of live. But once you hit your minimum and you can feed yeah. yourself and live really in a place happiness. and take care of your family, it really doesn't. It's pretty minimal. Um, last one, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give to yourself as a rookie sales professional? Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I would say uh, sales leadership is really hard. I knew this going into it, but it's really hard. And, and don't, don't just go into sales leadership because it's the next path. I think I, there are so many great individual contributors that make a whole career out of being an AE. And that is an amazing path in and of itself. So think really, think, think really about what you're, you're skilled at and what you want to do, uh, in making that decision. And then also always be discovering, like always be curious, keep being genuinely curious, no matter how much you feel like, you know, just don't assume, like keep being curious and asking questions and, and you'll, you'll, you'll do well, probably also work hard. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, it's been great having you on the show. No, this is great. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on the show before you take off where, where can people go to connect with you, learn more about reprise, all that kind of good stuff. Yes. Uh, reprise.com, R-E-P-R-I-S-E.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. If you search Grace Tyson at Reprise, you'll find me, VP of sales. Uh, and my email is grace at reprise.com. So hit me up, cold call me if you can find my cell phone. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Probably on Zoom Info, honestly. But yeah, that's how you find us. This has been such a pleasure. So, so great chatting with you, Jason. Thank you.